And joining me today is international psychologist Dr. Angela Bess. Good morning, Dr. Angela. Good morning, Shaz. All right, for our series, Abducted, we're going to take a look at the mind of a kidnapper. What goes through the mind of someone who plans to do something like this, Dr. Angela? You know, it's obviously very horrifying to the victims of the family, the victim itself. And and there has been a considerable amount of research done in sort of criminology, forensic psychologists. And one of the central issues that keep coming up with a profile of a kidnapper is that there are subsets in the sense that if someone kidnaps for a ransom, then there's obviously financial motives. A lot of times victims are sexually abused, but underlying all of that is a sense of power and control and mastery over another person that the kidnapper wants to have and then therefore exerts. Mm. And are traits like this, is it genetic, is it inherited, or is this, you know, something that they develop? It's a classic nurture versus nature question. Um, Generally, what we see with anything is that usually it's a mix of both. And again, in the research, I mean, so for example, if there's a genetic predisposition to alcoholism, that then therefore leads to poor decisions. So it's not like one day you wake up and say, I'm going to kidnap. It's a series of small decisions that sort of take you further and further away from humanity, Mm -hmm. where then past a point you've crossed a line and there's no coming back. So let's say, you know, we have a predisposition to alcoholism, then we start making a series of bad choices. And then before you know it, we have someone captive, right, in our house. But also what the research has shown is that, like the profiles of people who kidnap, they have been sexually and physically abused themselves, and especially as a child, which means they had lost control and mastery over their environment. And as adults, they'll do anything to seek that out. Right. Is this something that um, self-awareness can overcome with the right help? Uh, before the kidnapping or after, like um, making sure they don't do it again? Well, before. I mean, if afterwards, then yeah. most likely if they're caught, they will be in jail. Yeah. Um, well, before they decide to make this huge judgment error. Yeah, the thing is, you know, it's less common to sit there, you know, like parents, for example, would try to inculcate for the most part, like, you know, don't steal, right? Mm-hmm. Or don't, you know, excessive drinking or something or smoking or whatever. It's not good. Don't do it. Most parents don't sit with their children and go, don't become a kidnapper. It's just Mm -hmm. external factors that combine. So the more we can have a peaceful world, a functioning world, a nonviolent world where, you know, we're not caning and beating our children mercilessly, where, you know, they're, they're disempowered when they're younger, but then they grow up to be vociferous and wanting to claim that power back. And of course, I'm not saying... Every child that's physically abused goes on to be a kidnapper, but Mm -hmm. we're generally increasing the probability. Wow, that's interesting. Well, when we come back, we'll take a look at the psychological consequences for kidnapping victims. That's right after Robbie Williams here on Light. It's Mind Matters with Dr. Angela Bass. Um, It's one of the most horrifying ideas or thoughts that you can consider is the fact that, um, you know, one day you could be a kidnapping victim yourself. What are the psychological impacts of that on the victim, Dr. Angela? Most of the time it emulates the traits of PTSD. So, you know, repetitive, negative, intrusive thoughts, feelings of anger, denial, shame, guilt, hypervigilance, you know, 
not being able to be alone somewhere or, you know, afraid that naturally that'll happen again. You know, a shortness of breath, uh, flashbacks, you know, waking up at night. So classic PTSD symptoms. Okay. When we come back, we'll find out for family members how we can help members overcome such experiences, especially if there is no closure. Up next here on Light. It's a light breakfast with Shaz and Dr. Angela Bass is here with us, international psychologist. We're talking about um, abductions and for family members who have members who have been abducted, kidnapped. How can we help them overcome these experiences, especially if there isn't proper closure? Obviously, closure would be ideal. Um, but a lot of times, whether it's a kidnapping or, you know, other types of disappearance or, you know, a sudden death, Things like that, um, you know, we can look no further than MH, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes that kind of closure is not possible. But what's very interesting when we sort of study the mind is that whether something's happening subconsciously or, you know, in actual reality, the mind in some ways has difficulty discerning. So if you decide for your family that it's time to move on, and that's not synonymous with forgetting. Um, you know, a lot of people hold on to that pain unnecessarily. I mean, look, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Mm -hmm. um, so they hold on to that suffering because they're like, you know, to move on means to forget. It doesn't. Uh, another way to reframe that is to move on means to honor their life because they most likely would have wanted you to continue as best as possible. So you can do things like a letter... Uh, a letter writing ceremony, throwing something symbolically in a fire, rituals like, you know, uh, I've had clients who have tied a letter saying goodbye and their thoughts to a balloon and releasing it. Mm -hmm. And they have found that so therapeutic. So, you know, that's that's one way to think about it. Engaging in therapy is very, very helpful. Things like I've spoken about EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Trauma and grief get stuck on a cellular level. Mm -hmm. So to release that um, through certain stretchings, through EMDR, can really honestly help us propel forward. So we never forget that person, but our grief regarding, let's say, kidnapping memories, connect with adaptive memories when we remember them from a happier time, and then we can live a functional, happy, fulfilling life as best as possible. Right. What happens when you don't get this type of therapy or help? Can you recover just through time alone? Is this even possible? It is in some instances, not in all, not exactly likely, maybe not as smooth as possible. But notice, I mean, besides therapy, I mean, with a psychologist would be great. But pastors, imams, these people, community leaders can be helpful. Like a senior member of the family can be helpful. Being in nature, you know, in Scotland, that's an actual prescription, right? Exercising, the stretches, the there's emotional freedom technique, which is, you know, tapping on various points. All of this is for free. Right. When we come back, um, for those suffering from PTSD, what can we as family members do to help them? That's next here on Light. And with me this morning, Dr. Angela Bass, uh, international psychologist. We're talking about abduction for our series, Abducted This Week. And for victims of kidnapping, you know, they've been known to suffer from triggers and post-traumatic stress disorder. What can we do as family members to help them? Now, obviously, if something appears to be very chronic or even acute for that matter, and there's... There's a lot of suffering. You you do want to take an educated call in the sense that if someone's suffering from 
various obvious um, panic attacks and anxiety, uh, perhaps a visit to the doctor is in order. But take the cue from the person. A lot of times people have, you know, a benevolent agenda. We're talk it out, talk it out, you'll feel better. But maybe they're not ready to talk it out. Everyone mm-hmm. has a timeline of when and how they process. And it's so variable and unique to that individual. How we grieve and how long it takes. I mean, in a, in a maybe a less extreme case, for example, if you have a friend who's going through a breakup, one friend might take two months, another friend might take two years, but we're unlikely to say, hurry up, it's been X amount, get over it. Mm-hmm. To each their own. So to observe that, but to try to set a routine, a structure, warmth, openness, a lot of times, you know, we try to say things that are not helpful. You know, this is this is the will of destiny or God or so on. I mean, you may believe that. Yeah. might not be helpful to that person. might be triggering. So saying something like, just know no matter what, I'm here for you. How can I help? Gives agency to the person who's suffering. All right. When we come back, we'll see how forgiveness um, can play a part in recovery. That's up next here on Light. On Mind Matters, uh, with me this morning, Dr. Angela Bass, international psychologist. Now, we've been talking about uh, the psychological impact on kidnapping victims. Uh, for victims, uh, you know, this is a traumatic experience, even uh, may involve a death of a loved one. Is it possible to forgive? Where does forgiveness come into the healing part of this, Dr. Angela? Forgiveness is tremendously liberating. Depending on where you are and maybe the philosophy that you've carried for a lifetime, it'll look different for different people, but the research is fascinating. So when I was doing field work in Sierra Leone on women who have experienced female genital mutilation and female genital cutting, when I have uh, done field work in Rwanda with people who have experienced a genocide, you know, a lot of times a common myth is that To forgive is to condone the other person's horrific behavior. Mm -hmm. But it's not. Actually, forgiveness is for yourself. You decide that I'm not going to be shackled by this rage or this anger, this trauma. And it's a choice. Obviously, you know, having, whether it's a community elder, a a religious head, a therapist, or even just wise elders in your family, they, they can help you with this process. But if you can get there... That's one of the most therapeutic things that you can do. So it's very, very recommended because the mechanisms uh, set you free. For example, there's a very famous book, you know, New York Times bestseller, over 3 million copies sold, Our Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. He's a Austrian psychiatrist who lived through Auschwitz, mm-hmm. and he forgave his captors. And it's a classic in the mental health field and everywhere because of the power of the mind. And this is going to sound a bit radical, what I say next, but... It's never what's happened to you or what somebody has done or said that exerts impact. It's how you think about it. For those of us who are struggling to forgive, what's the first step? Well, you know, understanding what has driven somebody to that. You know, I actually speak from personal experience, Shaz. My husband and I were actually uh, held hostage for 12 hours. We were kidnapped. Oh, my goodness. And it's been such an interesting journey because I can say this with all authority, what is conceivably the worst thing that happened to me has become the best in my life. It has led to such increased compassion and empathy, and it really informs the trauma work I do as a psychologist, right? I mean, mm-hmm. 
it, it really has led to a depth of understanding that probably most likely wouldn't have been otherwise possible. Again, you know, if you consider yourself religious or spiritual or philosophical, those there's many constructs in those fields that can help. Wow. And thank you so much for sharing. This is something we've just discovered about you right this moment. Mm. Well, thank you, Dr. Angela, for the insight this morning. My pleasure. Of course, um, you can listen to this hour in its entirety on our podcast. Download the Shock app on the Google Play or the Apple App Store, and it, it will be at your fingertips.